Good morning. How are we doing? Good to be here with you. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, we're getting ever so closer, aren't we? Hopefully um, you have uh, purchased all of your gifts or this last week maybe can be the week that you do it. Um, don't put it off the last minute. I've been there far uh, too often, right? Um, and I am there again. So, um, so here we go. Christmas is here and we are celebrating um, really this time of year what it means that, that Jesus has come to, to dwell among us. We've been in this series, really in the, the first chapter of John's gospel, where we've understood what it means for Jesus to have come to us. This is not just a just another mere man, is it? This is just a good teacher. This isn't just a good role model. This is God himself has come to us to live among us. And so we're going to dive into John chapter 1 again and try to understand what the incarnation means for us this morning. I'm going to invite my friend Haley is going to come and read from John's gospel chapter 1 beginning in verse 14. And as he comes, um, I will pray uh, for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that in it is life itself. And so I pray that in these moments that you would quiet all other voices, even the voice of our own flesh that wants to distract, so that we may hear from you, we may listen, and we may obey. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah. You know, uh, have you ever met uh, someone and didn't realize that they were famous? Um, have you ever been in a conversation with someone to where afterwards someone else has to tell you, do you know who you were talking to, right? Um, this past summer, my family was in town, and uh, we were across the street at Bird and Branch, and we were grabbing coffee. We also brought our dog with us, Dorothy, and so my mom was with Dorothy, and I was inside grabbing coffee. And in the meantime, my mother gets into a conversation with another dog owner. This happens in the dog world, okay? Uh, dogs meet each other. They have no shame. They're just best friends right away or mortal enemies. It, it's one of those two things are happening when dogs come together. And uh, my mom is having this conversation with somebody that, that she doesn't really know, but now they're talking because the dogs are talking and it's a great deal. I don't really know the person either, nor her boyfriend, uh, but my wife knows exactly who my mother is talking to because this is a couple of famous people in the Broadway world. You may know them. I think I got their picture for you on the screen. Um, but this, this is two people uh, from Hadestown isn't it? Yeah, this is the star, the stars of Hadestown, Reeve Carney and Eva Noblezada. Did I get that last name uh, right? Yeah? 
close, close. Yes. Um, these are Hell's Kitchen neighbors. They live in the neighborhood. So I imagine they were like on their way to the show or something and stopped in a burden branch. I, I hope they don't stop in today and see their picture on the screen. Uh, but, but my wife is just sitting there with her mouth open, cannot believe that my mom is having a casual conversation with Eva and, and her dog. Right. And so when we walk away, Sarah begins to say, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, not yet, not yet. Sarah wants to make sure that she's out of like earshot uh, from these two before she reveals to us um, who we were talking to. Have you been in that type of situation where you have been talking to somebody famous and you didn't quite get it? You didn't understand who they were. When we come to John's gospel, we see this baby laying in a manger and so many other gospels that are heard of him. We see the nativity scene, but John wants us to know the theology behind it all so that we understand who that baby is laying in that manger. This is not just another human being. This is not just another baby. This is the word, God himself, the one who created it all, the one who is in a special relationship with the Father, the one who is also God himself, he has become flesh. This is the word that has become flesh. And John says that he comes and, and we have observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father. When we see this idea of glory, it takes us back to the Old Testament. This is an Old Testament idea. Last week, we talked about how John's gospel starts with in the beginning, much like the book of, of Genesis, in the beginning. Well, here in verse 14 and through 18, John is connecting the story of Jesus to Exodus. Now, we see the glory of God in Exodus, don't we? If you remember, we studied this as a church together as we walked through Exodus, that moment where Moses asked the Lord, I want to see your glory. Do you remember that? I'll catch you up to speed in case you need a refresher. God had just given to Moses the Ten Commandments, and then Moses walks into the camp of Israelites, and, and there he sees them worshiping falsely, worshiping after a, a golden calf, right? And so Moses, he throws the tablets down. And then you see God kind of, he pulls back a little bit, little bit and begins saying that I'm going to get you to the promised land, but I'm going to send an angel instead. And Moses begins to plead with God. He says, no, if, if you're not going, there is no promised land. We, we want you to go with us, right? You remember that? So God relents. And then Moses in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18 says this to God. Then Moses said, please, let me see your glory. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. This is God speaking. And I will proclaim the name, the Lord, before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, Here's a place near me, and you are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away and, and you will see my back. But my face will not 
be seen. God says, you want to see my glory? Well, I want to put you in the crevice of this rock, and then I'm going to, I'm going to shield you from my glory, and you're just going to catch like the, the outer edges of who I am. You're not going to see the fullness of my glory because you can't see me and live. There's death involved. Moses, though, he does get to see Jesus. He does get to see the fullness of God's glory. We know this as we look at the New Testament in the Mount of Transfiguration. We talked about this as we journeyed through the Gospel of Matthew, right? Moses is there on a mountain with Jesus. Not only Moses, but John, the gospel writer of this account, is there with Jesus and two of the other disciples. And what happens on that mountain is that Jesus, he reveals who he is in the fullness of his glory. It's like he he pulls back his flesh as he is transfigured in front of them. The fullness of God has come to dwell in Jesus. That's what we see. And Moses is there. He's glowing. He's he's shining too, just like Jesus is, because this is the moment where now he's seeing the fullness of what he didn't see in Exodus chapter 33. And it's a time to worship, to see the glory of God, to see the might, the power, the, the splendor, and to worship. John even says as much, doesn't he? He says in in John chapter uh, 1 there in verse 14 that he observed. Where did he observe the glory that Jesus has? On that mountain. That's where he saw it. That's where he got to experience it. And he says, don't just take my word for it, but there's also the prophet, John the Baptist, who has spoken, crying out in the wilderness. John says that Jesus... He, he ranks ahead of him, even though John the Baptist was born first. Why? John the Baptist, he gets it. He's a prophet who understands this is much more than just a baby. This is much more than just a helpful teacher that is coming. This is much more than just a good man that is here for us. This is God. The fullness of God in his glory has come in splendor and might to dwell with us. John, he wants us to get it, to see who Jesus really is, that we wouldn't miss that he's God. And he wants us to see the glory and to experience the glory of God that Moses longed for so long ago. But the problem is this, that we are far too concerned with our own glory. And it keeps us far too often from missing the glory of God and just seeing Jesus as something that's helpful to life. But we fail to bow down and to worship, recognizing who he is, because at the center of our worship far too often, is ourselves. John talks about this in his gospel. In chapter five, he is in, Jesus is in the middle of a teaching and he addresses this part of the teaching 
to the religious elite. So those that go to church, listen up. We would be religious elite, right? These are words that we would need to even hear. He says in verse 44, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? And then in verse 45, do not think that I accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? He is saying to these religious, religious people that you aren't anything like your religious hero, Moses, who wrote about Jesus in Exodus chapter 33. You aren't anything like him. And the fact that you don't connect the dots between Moses and, and Jesus has more to do with the fact that you are seeking glory for yourself. It's not that your belief is, is gone because you don't see the connection. It's not that you have no belief because, because you don't see all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. No, the reason that, that Jesus talks about this lack of belief in him is because they accept glory from one another and don't seek the glory that comes from God. That's the problem. And a sign of that problem is that they don't connect the dots between Jesus and Moses. That's what he's saying to the Jewish religious leaders. The bigger problem here is that you are in the center of worship. You are in the center of chasing after your own glory instead of worshiping Jesus and seeing his glory. So therefore, you don't connect the dots of who Jesus is and what he's about and what your life should be about. So many times we make even this experience really about ourselves. We do all the religious things, don't we? We sing the songs about Jesus. We come here, we light the candles about Jesus. We study about Jesus. But so very often we can even make this experience about ourselves. You see, our glory, it, it matters to us. It matters to who we are. I mean, if you're honest, doesn't it? We talked about this last week, um, an idol that, that I know I deal with, and I can only imagine that we all in some way deal with this idol. It's the idol of achievement. And this idol says that life only has meaning. I only have worth if I'm being recognized for my accomplishments, if I'm being recognized for how I excel in my career or my craft. We long for recognition from others, from pra for praise from others, because in it, we are validated, aren't we? If someone could just tell me that I've done a good job, and we seek this validation in our friendships, in our romantic relationships, in our career, in every part of life, like we, we find ourselves longing validated, longing for someone to see us, to recognize us, and say that we are good. We have an idol that's there. We want our accomplishments to shine so that we can find worth. We want to be recognized. What it does is it keeps us 
from seeing the glory of Jesus. Recognizing his work and what he has done for us. It keeps us even from believing and trusting in him because we begin to believe and trust in ourselves when we struggle with this, this idol, when we struggle with this sin. We, we need to see the glory of Jesus, but we have to let go of our own glory for that to happen. Well, how do you do that? <laughs> I mean... If we're not going to be for us, then who's going to be for us? You feel that sometimes? If we're not going to advocate for ourselves, then who's going to advocate for us? Do you ever feel that? How do we lose, lose our grip on our own glory, on our own praise, so that we can see the glory of Jesus and, and who he is? Well, the answer is the gospel. It's always the answer to our sin, to our struggle, to the idols that we falsely worship. I want you to see this in John's gospel. Um, Jesus, he prays right before he, he goes to the cross. And John chapter 17 gives us a beautiful prayer from Jesus. In this garden moment, he is praying for himself in this moment. And then he prays for the disciples and then he also prays for those that would come after the disciples, and that's you and me. Isn't it amazing that, that Jesus, he prays for you right before he goes to the cross? I want you to see something in, in this prayer because it helps us answer. What do we, how do we begin to let go of our own glory in all of this? John chapter 17, verses four through five, we see Jesus first praying for himself. And he's saying this to the Father. I have glorified you on the earth, completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I've come, I've done the work, I'm about to go to the cross. That's what I've come to do. I've accomplished the work now. I, I, want to, I want to be with you in your presence with that unique glory that we shared before the world existed. Jesus, he's come in the fullness of glory, but this type of glory that Jesus is praying for is a shared glory with him and the Father. So catch that, hold on to that, because this is good. John 17, verse 24. Listen to this. This is amazing. He's praying for you now, okay? Father, I want those you have given me. Now, let's just pause. We think about this time of year, all the good gifts that we can give our friends, our families, our loved ones, right? Did you just hear that? I want those that you have given me. God the Father who has everything, owns everything, gave a gift to his son. You know what that gift is? It says it right here. It's you. You are a gift from God the Father to God the Son, Jesus. 
I don't know if that fills your heart up like it does mine. But it changes everything for me and how I see even myself. Have you ever thought about salvation from that way? We often talk about all the things that we receive in salvation. But Jesus, he, he goes to the cross so that he can receive what the Father has given him, and that's you. <laughs> you realize that, that Jesus gets a gift from God in the work of the cross, and it's you and me? It's a blessing that we get to be a part of this. It changes the way that I see myself. It changes, it gives a whole other dynamic to what it says. It's not just about what I receive, but I'm also a gift to Jesus himself. I hope that sets on your heart this morning that you're filled with how Jesus sees you. Let's keep reading though, because we're not the only gift in this. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. There's also this glory that Jesus is going to get from the Father as he enters back into this presence of the Father. He's gonna have this shared glory once again. But guess what? You and I are gonna be part of it. He says, I, I want them to be with me. Now, this is important language, with me. It's not like you just got a ticket to heaven and that's what we are understanding Jesus to be saying. No, he says, I want you to be with me so they will see my glory, this glory that we're gonna share. He invites you to be a part of it, to be with him as he is with the Father. The glory of God becomes ours. A few verses earlier, he, he says, I have given them my glory. He's talking about glory that's been given to the church. The glory of God Almighty is a gift to Jesus. And because bringing us with him is a gift then to us. Everything that's said about Jesus is true of us. Every good thing about Jesus that is worthy to be praised is true of us. He is lifted up, and as he is lifted up, we are lifted up with him. I hope, as you see what Jesus has done for us, that we begin to be able to loose our grip on our own glory. It pales in comparison to the glory that we have in Jesus and what he has done for us. We know that this happens because Jesus has prayed about it and he's about to go to the cross. There is a line in one of the songs from Hadestown, um, from Wait for Me, where, where Orpheus, he learns that Eurydice has left for Hadestown, the, the underworld. And Hermes, he, he asked this question of Orpheus, just how far would you go for her? Of course, he loves her, and he responds, to the end of time, to the end of the earth. And what does Jesus, what does he do for us? He, 
He dies on a cross so that we can be with him at the end of time and at the beginning of eternity, seeing the full glory of God for eternity, experiencing it, and it getting to be ours as well as we are raised up in it. And that's good stuff. I just took a Broadway show, explained Greek mythology, and now fits into the gospel. Come on. I think that's the peak. It doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> I don't want to top that one at all, but... No, we see what Jesus has done for us in the cross. That he has given his life so that we can have and be a part of his glory. So what is our response? I want to take some time with this. Um, this is also good. So maybe it's a sermon too, I don't know. But this is also good. Uh, John uses this this phrase in um, in verse fourteen, um, John chapter one verse fourteen, where he he says um, he has come to dwell among us, to dwell among us. Right. the The translated word for dwelt is literally to to like pitch or to to build a a tent. The imagery still. Exodus, we understand that within the book of Exodus, the Israelites, they were wandering around forever, you know, looking for the promised land. And along the way, what happened was they would set up a tent in the middle of their camp, a a place for God. It was a tabernacle, right? And God would come and he he would dwell in this tent, right? It was a dwelling place for God. Fast forward, finding promised land, temple is built. What is the temple? It's a dwelling place then for God, where we literally see God meeting humanity. That's what we see there. The dwelling place of God. It's a holy place, right? Now, not just anybody can get into the temple, and not just anybody can go into the tabernacle. Matter of fact, there were some places that were limited to the the average person to go into the temple or the tabernacle. There was also this place called the Holy of Holies, and that's where God's presence actually resided, at the temple, at the tabernacle. And only one time a year could one person, the priest, on Yom Kippur, could go into the Holy of Holies. Well, how did that happen? They first had to make a sacrifice, right? There to be a sacrifice of an animal, typically a lamb. Do you understand what John is saying? John is saying that the temple, the tabernacle has now come to dwell with us. It's not about you or the priest or whoever making the right sacrifice to come and to be with God. Now, God himself has taken on flesh, it has dwelt among us. He has come to us. He has brought the holy of holies to you and to me. And how does that happen? Through a sacrifice that you didn't make, that he made as he goes to the cross. Our lamb who dies for us. You know what this is called? Grace. That's what John calls it. He says in chapter one, verse 16, indeed, 
we have all received grace upon grace. The idea is a continuous, overflowing grace. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You could, you could take your, your worst sin. Guess what? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace because Jesus died on the cross and he came to be with you. You could take your greatest achievement. It doesn't measure up to who God is. We've all fallen short of his glory. And anything that we do doesn't measure up, it isn't good enough. So you can take your greatest achievement and still what overcomes it is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. This is what our God has done for us. He has come to us when we could not get to him. He has shown up into our world, into our deepest, deepest place of our world, darkest place of our world, the best place of our world, and he has paid a sacrifice so that you can I, you and I can experience his grace. So what is, what is our response to Jesus? Our job is to, if you call it that, our job is to receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace so that we can see the glory of God, experience his power, his might, his splendor, so that we can worship him and be caught up in his glory. I have often thought if we had that moment outside of Burden Branch to do over what, what we would do, right? I even had the conversation with my wife as we were walking back from the coffee shop said, listen, next time you see a famous person, let me know immediately, <laughs> right? And uh, I would love to have gotten a picture or something, you know? Like, hey, our dogs, let's get a picture together and us too. Instagram, here I am, right? I'd love to have had a, a do-over in that. What's, what's beautiful about this season, this Christmas season, is that every year we get another chance to see that that baby laying in a manger and to get a do-over for how we even approach the whole thing. This is, this is God who took on flesh. You know what that means? He, he, God who didn't need anything, became vulnerable to the point that he could die. Not only that, he didn't just show up as a man. He was born into our world. The one who actually created life is born into our world as a baby. A baby who, frankly, needed his mother to survive. That's the vulnerability that he took on for us. But don't miss it. It's all so that you and I can experience his grace and step into his glory. May we come and worship him this Christmas season. I want to invite the, the band to come. They're going to play. And I got a couple of questions I just want to ask as they do. You want to take a posture of prayer, you can. question for you this, this morning is 
Where have you seen grace show up in your life? Where have you seen grace show up in your life? Maybe uh, for, for some, this may be the first time that you've experienced or understood the, the gospel and, and what Jesus has done for you. If that's the case, I, I, I would love to meet with you afterwards. I'll be back by the, the welcome flag. Really, just all it takes for us to experience his grace is just to believe. That's what John says. That's what his whole gospel is about, is to believe in what Jesus has done that he's come to die on the cross for sin, to believe in that, to trust in it, to experience his grace so that you can step into his glory. Second question for you. Where have you seen the, the idol of achievement show up in your life? Where have you seen the, the need for others to validate you show up in your life where you've made it all about yourself where have you seen that take a moment just to let the Lord speak to you even confess and finally what does it mean to step into his glory what, what does that look like in your life? What does it look like to, to glorify him, to worship him, to, to get your validation from him? You are a gift from the Father to Jesus. What does that mean for you? And Father, we do thank you that you let us see your glory and the, the fullness of your glory in Jesus. And we get to experience it. those things that Moses, that he longed for, we get to experience it in Jesus, who has come, the word who has taken on flesh, come to dwell among us. Thank you for the holy place that, that we get to step in because you came to us. Thank you for your grace upon grace upon grace, upon grace. That covers every sin. We thank you for Christ. It's in his name that we pray.